Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 1608. So, it never ceases to amaze any of us, does it? No, it probably doesn't. <laughs> how uh, how ignorant some people are of uh, calculating return on investment, understanding investments, understanding market timing. They think they can time the market. Usually they can't. Hey, listen. I've been doing this a long time. I don't pretend to know how to time the market either, and uh, nobody should really think that they can time the market. You know, if you think about it, look at all of these large institutional investors. Look at also the folks who run the economy, the Federal Reserve, the other central banks, the governments, right? All around the world, not just the US government, every government. If market timing were possible, wouldn't all of the institutional investors, wouldn't all of the governments and all of the central banks just have it all figured out? Would there be any uh, collapses in markets, any crashes? Wouldn't they be able to just guarantee fantastic returns on their investment? And I I draw your attention, of course, to the one of the most famous references on this. Look it up. Look it up if you don't know the company I'm about to share with you, the defunct company I'm about to share with you. So you know when I say the company name, Long-Term Capital Management, okay? LTCM, Long-Term Capital Management, now that I got the acronym straight. <laughs> uh, that's the company that thought they had it figured out. Those quants, those mathematical geniuses, they had figured out the market. And they went under famously, or infamously, I should say. They went under the geniuses who guaranteed they told everyone they had the market figured out. And guess what? A lot of professionals, a lot of experts believed them. They believed them. And they couldn't figure it out. Zillions of dollars lost, lives ruined, etc., etc. Right? So just if you think you can time the market, or if you think your friend is smarter and they can time the market, you know, all of all of the stories of all the people who've tried to figure that out have failed, failed, failed miserably. It's been disastrous. And that was a bomb dropping. That's what happened to them. That's what happened to them. So don't be one of those people. All right. I've talked to you before about how real estate is getting 
cheaper. Cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. Yes, everybody thinks it's getting more expensive, but they don't know how to do the math. They don't understand reality. So they think it's getting more expensive when it's actually getting cheaper. Interest rates just broke through another floor on their way down. We had record low interest rates, then we had record low interest rates again, and then we had record low interest rates again, and then we had record low interest rates again. But guess what? Now we have them, you guessed it, again, 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 yes. <laughs> so the interest rates got even lower, and when I say interest rates, I mean mortgage rates. And what does that mean? That means the houses keep getting cheaper. Remember, 1% in interest rate equals approximately 10% in price. So when you see the rates drop by a percent, the price has to go up by 10% to make it up. It's not exact, okay? It's not exact. There's my disclaimer. Do your own math. Okay, but it's close enough for government work as the old saying goes. So that's the kind of differential we're dealing with here. And if you look back at 2006, when the median home price, the median home price was $235,600 in the third quarter of 2006, and the interest rate on June 29th of 2006 for a 30-year fixed rate mortgage was 6.78%. That payment was about $1,533 per month. But guess what? In 1984, the house payment was $1,003. I don't have that in front of me, but yeah, $1,003. So it actually got cheaper to have a mortgage in 2006. And then guess what happened? At the peak of the market in 2006, before the Great Recession, where most people consider the peak, before that, the median home price in the second quarter, wait, I already went over that, didn't I? Ah, I'm on the wrong chart. Jason, look at the right chart. Okay, the right chart is today. I'm talking about today. Sorry, not talking about 2006 anymore. We already talked about 2006. Now we're talking about present day. Second quarter of 2020. Okay? Not the most recent data. I, I agree. But second quarter, median home price, $313,200. And, $313, and interest rate, on July 30th, 2.99%, making your payment on that median price home a beautiful, incredibly low, super cheap. Actually, it is, you know what, you know what that payment is? It is supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Is that, is, did I do that right? Let me know. Go to jasonartman.com slash ask and let me know if I did that right. You know, it's like trying to say another long word like anti-disestablishmentarianism. <laughs> Remember that really long word you learned in elementary school? I think that's it, right? Anti-disestablishmentarianism. What does that even mean? I don't know. I got to look it up. Okay, but you're whopping 
$1,318 payment on that median house price today means, means, guess what? It means that that same house today is about $657 cheaper when adjusted for price, interest rate, and inflation. Yeah, but I do want to remind y'all, y'all, I'm sounding Southern now because in the Southeast is where you should be buying houses mostly right now. And we've got lots of them for you. Go to jasonhartman.com slash properties. It is not adjusted for wages. And the wages are not adjusted for inflation for most people. But, but, I'll bet you for most of you listening, you dear listeners, they are inflation adjusted, your wages, or they are close to being inflation adjusted, or they are even better than inflation adjusted. And that means the housing from your perspective is even cheaper than that. Those numbers I gave you were for, as Amity Schlaes, who was on the show, Amity Schlaes, the author, she's written some great stuff in the Great, uh, well, not in the Great Depression, but she wrote a book about the Great Depression called The Forgotten Man, right? You are not that person. You are probably beating the system, especially if you are following the advice of Jason Hartman. Oh, that's me. Don't talk about yourself in the third person. That's just really weird. Yeah, I agree. Don't do it. <laughs> I hope I'm entertaining you folks, because if I'm not, I'm at least entertaining myself. It's the end of the day, and I'm a little punchy, you know? Ah, oh, boy. Sometimes the days are just like a blur. So much stuff coming at you. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You know, I used to say that years ago when it was just a fax machine just kept humming and humming and all these faxes and phone calls and now all the faxes just converted to emails and text messages and so on and so forth and and still some phone calls in there but wow 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 too much stuff coming at us nowadays anyway folks it is an amazing time to be investing in real estate yes i am pretty bullish right now uh remember i am the same person who in what was it? March? Maybe it was March who told at least you first-time investors to keep your money. Don't even think about it. If you try to invest with us, we don't want it. We don't want ya. Go away. That was me. Go back and listen to the old episodes from probably March, I think, maybe April, but probably March, where I told you not to invest. Yes, I said no. Don't do it. Well, right now, I'm telling you, you should do it. Now, that doesn't mean the entire market. That means selected markets, selected properties, prudent linear markets, which, by the way, are turning to be hybrid markets pretty quickly. And if you're new to the show and you don't know what I mean when I talk about linear, hybrid, or cyclical, well... Listen to the Quick Start podcast. If you're new to our content, we have another podcast just with some of our core content, the Quick Start podcast. And there are a lot fewer episodes, a lot less to sort through, and uh, that's available for you. Also, the YouTube channel does a good job of summarizing some of this stuff. And 
Of course, our team can help you. Yes, we are not just a platform where you can buy properties, although we are that. We are people, and our people are happy to help you. Just go to jasonhartman.com and uh, fill out any web form there, and we'll be we'll get in touch with you. Are extremely knowledgeable, and now that I've gotten rid of some, our super duper ethical, wonderful people will be happy to help you. Okay, so we have got a talk, the continuation of a talk with one of those people, and that is coming up right now. Uh, again, if you need us, jasonhartman.com, reach out to us. If you're in the United States, you can always pick up the good old telephone and call us at 1-800-HARTMAN. Okay, without further ado, let's get to part two of today's episode. So that really begs the philosophical question of, you know, what is the government? The government is just a, a, a series of taxpayers that pay into have a government, an organization. It's look at it like a homeowners association or or a nonprofit membership organization like uh, the PTA or something, right? I don't know the PTA. I don't know how that works. So that may be a bad <laughs> example. But whatever, you know, say you have a club that you've created, right? Well, the club collects dues from its members to pay for its expenses, right? And the club could go into debt to, you but know, buy a building at all the like club, the, and the, the club has to pay that back, meaning the members have to pay that. But that's not the situation that we're in, though. We are in a situation where the club can't create its own things. The government creates the dollar. We, I don't owe it back because I can't create dollars. The federal government spending is the, is the receiver's savings. So it's the net public's um, or the private sector savings. So the public sector spending is the private sector savings. If you look at the debt clock, which I'm, I don't know how to pull it up on here, but the debt clock, the U.S. national debt is $27.264 trillion. With that's, a T. That's, that's trillion with a T but, there, folks. But if you look at U.S. total national assets, it's $156 trillion. With you know, team. I would be very curious to see, because what you're basically showing, uh, sharing with us is the concept of a balance sheet, okay? Mm -hmm. So I would be interested in seeing what, how do they calculate those assets? And I do agree with you, by the way, that the U.S. has a, a ton of assets, both tangible and intangible assets. And I've done, you know, many podcasts on that topic over the years, because I agree that it's not as bad as the doom and gloomers would have you believe. If you're listening to Peter Schiff and reading Zero Hedge all the time, you know, and, and Jim Rickards, these guys are just always wrong. They're, they're so interesting to listen to, but they're just like, when is all of their doom gonna come true? You know, they were telling us that in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2000 teens, and here we are in the 2020s and they're still saying it. And yet there seems right. to be like very little consequence except higher taxes, more government intrusion in our lives and higher inflation, whether hidden or unhidden. All right. We need to move on or else we're never going to get to the actual good part that I have. Okay. <laughs> but you really got to just address that one thing. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. All right. So let me, let's finish with Jerome Powell real quick. Preserving the flow of credit is essential for mitigating damage to the economy and promoting a robust recovery. Many of our programs rely on emergency lending powers that require the support of the Treasury Department and are available only in very unusual circumstances 
such as those we find ourselves in today. These programs serve as a backstop to key credit markets and have helped to restore the flow of credit from private lenders through normal channels. We have deployed these lending powers to an unprecedented extent, enabled in large part by financial backing and support from Congress and the Treasury. When the time comes, after the crisis has passed, we will put these emergency tools back in the toolbox. So that was the whole back in the toolbox thing. Again, like we talked about before, they're not they're not going away and they will be coming back whenever times get uh, times get bad again. So. So, yeah. So the question you, is, still you consider that the good part? Is that the aha moment? <laughs> no, no, no. That's just the key part oh, of that. Okay. Remember, as, as we move into the next. What I, if, I, I, the I was worried that that was the climax. Uh, <laughs> I, I was like going to go. There's like, the good news, wah, people. Wah, wah. <laughs> so we have to ask ourselves, what if it's another great recession right now? So I went through and I said, let's run the scenario. So I looked at the Dow Jones because that's the sexy one that gets all the, the love from the media during the great recession. The absolute peak of the great recession hit uh, the peak of the market before the Great Recession hit October 2007, the Dow reached 17,356. So I said, let's pretend that today is October 2007 in the housing market. Three years later, October 2010, you'd seen a 24% drop. So if you'd waited three years, it had gone down and come back up 24%. So I wanted to know what if I bought a house today? And in three years, I bought a house at about a 20% drop. What would it look like? That okay, is this part. is good, folks. This might be the good part. Let's yes, go this is the good part. So let's say I bought a $250,000 house today with 20% down. So I got a $200,000 loan, interest rate of 3.75, very easily gettable. At a 30-year mortgage, I would be paying $926 a month with principal and interest. That is, folks... That is a gift from <laughs> your rich uncle Jerome Powell yeah. right there. Wow. That is, I mean, get your cash register ready. <laughs> you yeah. know, that is phenomenal. I mean, only 900 and something dollars a month for a $250,000 yeah. house. You can see so why went, everybody in the country is trying to buy a house right now. Yeah. So then I looked, all right, if in three years from now, and I just went to the beginning of the year to make it easy for myself in the future. If in the beginning of, if on January 1st, 2024, I close and that $250,000 house dropped 20% and now I'm trying to buy it for 200,000. My interest rate's going to be higher because obviously if we've had a 20% drop in the economy, interest rates are going to go up because of fears in the recession and it's I just said let's just say it's 6%. It could be higher. Um you know, I was paying 6% for in investment loans not that long ago. So if it's 6%, even at $160,000 mortgage it's $959. So it's $33 a month higher in three years on a house that's 20% cheaper. And if it ever gets 20% yeah, cheaper, if it gets lower. So I'm, I'm playing the game of let's run the numbers the same as the Great Recession. But on January 1st, 2024, when I have the $200,000 loan, I have also paid down 12000 in principal. I have had $23,000 in interest that I've paid that have been at least partially tax deductible. Yeah. And assuming the port, I found a portfolio for one of our Florida properties that was around 250,000. The cash flow after 8% management, 8% vacancy and 3% maintenance 
was around $250. So I said, assuming $250 a month, I have also gotten $9,500 in positive cash flow. So I've paid down $12,000 in principal. I've gotten a potential $23,000 in tax benefits, and I have $9,500 in cash flow in my pocket. On January 1st, 2024, my first payment is due on the other loan. <laughs> That's it. And I'm going to assume about $225 a month cash flow moving forward because my rent's probably dropped a little bit on that house if I have to go down to $200,000. Um, you know, you've got a higher monthly payment and you've got no principal pay down, no interest, no cash flow. So you're at zero. So yeah. that's what you've missed waiting the three years to try to buy at bottom. Adam, I always think it's easier to evaluate the missed opportunity by simply just looking at the return on investment directly, right? So so here's another way to look at it. Okay. So, you know, how much is the down payment you made on that house? You said it's two. Um, it was fifty thousand. So okay, so fifty thousand dollars. And if you go to jasonhartman.com slash properties and look at the performance there where they've got all of the numbers. And if you want to know how to read that sheet and standardize your data as a real estate investor, just look at the free video, which by the way, is an updated free video. Hopefully the update is there now. I think it is. I think it was updated just yesterday. There's a new version of that video at jasonhartman.com on how to analyze a real estate deal, how to read a performa. I mean, the worst of these performers will show you an overall return on investment of, say, 25% annually, okay? I mean, that'll be about the lower end. Some will be 30 35%. But whatever it is, okay, say it's, you know, 25%. So you take 25% of $50,000, so that would be $12,500, and your time period was two years, right, Adam? It was three. Three years. Okay. So I won't compound it, but the return on investment should be compounded to do it properly. But since I'm just doing it in my head, that's 12,500 plus 12,500 for year number two, plus 12,500 for year number three. So that's $37,500 return overall on a $50,000 investment. Now, disclaimer, okay, you have to understand that Number one, that might sound really phenomenal and ridiculous, like, I can't imagine that's really going to happen, Jason, you're just making that up. Well, no, you have to understand that income property, the reason it's the most historically proven asset class in the entire world, and it's made more people wealthy than any other asset class for generations now, is because it's a multi-dimensional asset class, and you earn return in lots of different ways. A lot of it, it's like it's like the old metaphor of an iceberg, right? You know, only a small part of the iceberg is above the water. The rest is below the water, okay? Ask, ask the captain of the Titanic, okay? So the, the iceberg, a lot of that return isn't directly seen. And that's why you have to know how to do the math. And that's what that free video, it's like a 30-minute video, got a little longer when I read it. <laughs> Jason went long? Yeah, you can't imagine me going long, right? That video will explain it to you, okay, how you earn that return. But I think that's just a really easy way to look at it. You know, I mean, you could look at it the way Adam presented it too, either one, you know. It's, I just wanted to present real numbers here. Right, this is the yeah. reason I did instead this. of percentages, Yeah. right? So that's what you've given up the first three years. So Good now, story. now let's go six years out. If you look six years out from the peak of our market in the Great Recession, 
it was essentially flat after six years. So you're back to, to square one. So you've held on to an asset for six years and gotten nothing in the stock market. So if we look at the $200,000 loan we took out today and the hundred on the left and the $160,000 loan we took out on January 1st of 2024, if we run it through to where it's been six years from today, so on January 1st, 2027, the $200,000 loan, you have now paid down 25,000 in principal. You've had $43,500 of interest paid and you've made 18,500 in cash flow. On your other one, your your 3 years, you've only made 6,000 in principal pay down, 28,000 in interest paid and $8,100 of positive cash flow. Cuz you're making lower cash flow. So the 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 opportunity cost of just waiting those 3 years to try to buy at the bottom doesn't really exist cuz if you remember that's the 3 years that you've paid on this $160,000 loan, that you've gotten over the last three years is worse. That 6,200, 28,000, 8,100 is worse than the 12,000 in principal pay down and 9,500 in positive cash flow from the first three years of your $200,000 loan. So, did you really gain anything waiting those three years for the trough? Yeah, no, I, I think that, that this, folks, see, look at, you know, when you hear these talks about, uh, the value investing philosophy of Warren Buffett. And they talk about that in the stock market. And that is so, they, they say, you know, you don't time the market, don't try and time the market, just buy quality and let it ride. And I, I generally agree with that philosophy. The value investing philosophy is sound. You know, Benjamin Graham was Warren Buffett's mentor, uh, or inspiration, I'm not sure which way to say that. You know, the market timers almost never win, right? They they win occasionally, and they got a few great stories, but usually people don't like to talk about their failures as much as their successes, so you don't hear about all the times they lost money, right? <laughs> or you don't hear about the dogs that don't bark and how much they would have made if they just left it in, okay? So so that's that's an issue. But with income property, Adam, it's so much better not timing the market because you earn your return in so many different ways, right? You started off this presentation with that slide, which maybe we should just go back to for a moment, the ideal acronym. And that's a really old acronym in the income property world, but it doesn't even cover it anymore. You know, I-D-E-A-L, okay? Income property gives you these ideal characteristics. It gives you income. It gives you depreciation. And that means good depreciation. It, it's, a, it's a tax benefit. It's the best tax benefit ever because it's a phantom write-off or a non-cash write-off. In other words, the property could be appreciating. It could be positive cash flowing. It can be doing great. And you still get a tax benefit potentially that depreciation, right? And uh, then you have equity growth, meaning your tenants pay your mortgage down. You have appreciation, meaning the property goes up in value. And so you get equity that way. And then to top it all off, you have L in I-D-E-A-L. You have leverage, meaning you can do more with less, okay? So in Adam's example, you put 20% down and you have 80% paid for by the bank. 
You're using OPM. You're using other people's money. This is just a partial list, by the way. This is an old thing. It doesn't have any of my advanced uh, techniques in there like inflation-induced debt destruction, IIDD, inflation-induced debt destruction. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I say that, go check out my podcast, The Creating Wealth Show. We, we go into that in detail. If you want to find exact episodes on that, just go to jasonhartman.com and type in inflation-induced debt destruction, and you will be wowed and amazed. Most people are uh, by the hidden wealth creator with income property that is in addition to what you see on the screen, income depreciation, equity growth, appreciation, and leverage. But leverage is OPM. It's other people's money. It allows you to be so much more than you are. It allows you to be a five times bigger investor than you are. Okay, it's a, it's just a wonderful thing. Okay, Adam, uh, any comments on that? But no, I I agree. I d- I didn't put the depreciation in there either. But you're missing out on three years of roughly ten thousand dollars a year depreciation for your uh, property in the first three years of uh, the two hundred fifty thousand dollar one. That's good. Now understand the depreciation is a bit of a complex issue. Uh, we right. are not tax advisors. <laughs> Our disclaimer is: talk to your tax advisor you know, of course, see the terms of service at jasonhartman.com and the privacy policy too. Uh, So, but yeah, you know, taxes are a complex subject, but income property is the most tax favored asset class in America, the most historically proven asset class in the world. So Adam, I was just looking through to see Gosling's nest in, uh, in New York says, I know this is off topic. Did you hear the latest, the nanny state in action? and are looking to have all of us have masks on in our homes. Why are you guys not masked? Oh, that is so absurd. I can't well, I read that. Have you read it? It makes more sense if you read it. What, was Pennsylvania doing that or something? I don't, That's I don't remember what state it was, but essentially it's only, it's not if you're just in your house. It's if you have like a worker over, or if there's people who you're not usually around. It's essentially... If it's an out, if it's like you're at an outdoor event, but it's in your house, they just ask that you wear a mask. It's- you know, look look for my YouTube video on my YouTube channel about uh, where I interviewed the mask doctor. Uh, he's an expert on masks, and he shows how the mask is actually ma- the mask is making people sicker. Those masks are dangerous, folks. It's not as simple as it seems. There are many reasons, but one is that you're breathing in your own respiration, which is extremely unhealthy. The point of getting it out of your body is to get it out of your body. But number two is people uh, spread more germs because they keep touching the things and fiddling with them. Okay. So there's the mask has a lot of problems. And of course, all the air still comes out. Okay. You know, it's not like when you exhale, the air goes away. It still goes into the environment. You know, it's just a way for the government to control us. So. All right. So ultimate bargains thinks uh, if the taxpayers and, and don't say Adam's wife is a is a nurse. So she wears a, an N95 eight to 12 hours a day. And oh, I don't know. Nothing bad has happened. I, I can hardly wear it for 20 minutes at the grocery store. I hate those things. But so, I hate- uh, ultimate bargain says the Fed cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube. It will never increase interest rates. Sorry. Um, Hang on. I don't agree with that. They'll never be able to increase interest rates again. It's going to be a little, it's going to be a while. I will grant you that. But I, I, we will see higher interest rates again. They can't, it's eventually the economy will turn around and start going back to where it was, you know, before COVID. And when that happens, they'll have to, 
start changing things in the economy or else it'll run too hot and inflation will skyrocket. Yeah, well, the the, the problem is, and, and what the people who disagree with that statement, Adam, what they say is that, you know, like, like our viewer said, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. It, they can reel that in, but it's not nearly as easy as it sounds. Oh, I agree. Okay. And the, the one great example we have of that is Paul Volcker, who recently passed away. Uh, we talked about him many times on the podcast. He was the Federal Reserve Chair in the early 80s. Okay. And he was the one that broke the back of inflation by raising interest rates to astronomical highs because inflation was just rampant and it was, it was ugly. I mean, that was really hard to do that, what Paul Volcker did. It was hard to, number one, have the, have the courage to do it because he was so hated at the time for doing it. It's like making someone take really bad medicine. And so it's very damaging to, to raise the rates and manipulate the market that way to stop the inflation. These things have a spiral life of their own. So it's not like, I mean, Jerome Powell just glibly sort of says the same way Ben Bernanke said it, you know, we'll just put the tool back in the toolbox and everything is going to be okay. Yeah, well, not quite. But even if the Fed doesn't end up raising their rates, eventually, you know, the stock, other parts of the economy will get good enough that they're going to have to raise the rates to get investors to come in and start buying the mortgages. So the rates will have to go up in order to get the spread that they need. Sure. But so, I mean, the Fed not raising their rates isn't that big of a deal. So, <laughs> Eccentric says, now that Biden may be president, are you guys learning Chinese? As that will soon be the national language of the world. Yeah. I haven't gone that far yet. Are you learning any new languages, Jason? Uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> we got a ways. Um, Eccentric also says, have you seen the news about the California law about foreclosures? People buying homes for personal use will be able to underbid investors. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I have seen that and I've thought about it. And of course, it'll be another failed disaster. Gavin Newsom stupidity that won't work uh, for a million reasons. We'll talk about another day because it'll take too long. Craig says Fed raising rates is a huge deal. Raise equals economic collapse. I don't agree with that. I mean, we were at... I mean, the Fed rate was significantly higher than it is now just two years ago, and we didn't have an economic collapse. Well, it depends. You know, it's all a matter of degree. It's really just all a matter of degree and, and speed at which they do it. So, see, Paul Volcker did it. He did it quickly, and he ended the inflation problem, but it was very, very painful, folks. So, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. So, folks... We will wrap it up, uh, but join us tomorrow for our Charlotte webinar. Uh, you're going to learn some good stuff. I have a little teaching at the beginning of that webinar. That's at jasonhartman.com slash Charlotte. Kim just posted something. She said, why do you think people buying houses in Seattle like a crazy? Yeah. I don't know like why people are buying in Seattle. I don't know why people are buying in Seattle. Yeah. They're, they're crazy. They're crazy. They're crazy. So uh, that is not a good idea. Don't do it. <laughs> Craig said Volcker was able to because the country had way less debt then. We are not restrained in our spending by the debt. The debt, like I said, is just money that we're holding as assets. I mean, the federal government creates the dollars and puts them out there. Our taxes don't actually pay for anything. The only reason they have to tax is to give our currency value 
and to potentially remove any, try to get us from not using some of the resources that are needed. The, the danger of inflation comes when there's com competition for resources. And we're not experiencing that right now. Yes, there's one up. Housing market. There are some areas where it's happening, but the government spending is not what's causing that. Like government's not going in and trying to buy up all the lumber. A big part of our lumber problem right now is the fact that COVID shut down a lot of the production for a while. Yeah, but even, the new, even after that, now now those right, but we but that story right. But and yes, I, I heard you talk about it. They still have to ramp up the production. Oh, they still over each other. Go ahead. They still have to ramp up the production. We still have tariffs coming in on all of the lumber that's coming in from Canada. So it's not the government purchasing and the government money coming in that's the issue with that. It's the other parts around it that's creating the run-up in cost. Yeah, okay, that this is just too complex a subject to debate today, but you know, we'll talk about debt and inflation and and you know, I'm I'm a little bit in the middle of this. I don't think it's as easy as Adam makes it out to be, but I don't I don't make it out to be easy. This the theory itself is easy. The implementation is hard. Well, I also don't think it's as bad as the doom and gloomers like Jim Rickards and Peter Schiff would say either. Uh, so, you know, I'm I'm a little bit in the middle about it. So good stuff. Everybody, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Be sure to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube and uh, do the bell notification so you'll catch those impromptu live streams like the one I did on Monday. And uh, also, we will see you tomorrow at our Charlotte Investing Webinar. This is a totally new one. It's a, it's a market we haven't been in for several years. I made some great money in that market. I, I profiled an exchange I did out of Charlotte into two more properties in Memphis. And uh, this is just a great market. It's been pretty hard to access. We've got brand new construction there and uh, some teaching we're going to be doing on that webinar as well tomorrow. So join us, jasonhartman.com slash Charlotte, and we will see you there. Thanks, everybody, and happy investing. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go Go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.